Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more episodes of this show, head to cageclub.me slash believe. And to check out other great shows, head to cageclub.me. If you have an idea for a show topic, would like to be a guest, want to tell me how much you like the show, or how much you hate it, or just want to say hi, send me an email, john at cageclub.me. That's j-o-h-n at cageclub.me. Hello? Hello? Oh, hello. Hi. You look familiar. Have we met? Oh, I doubt it. I know you from somewhere. Well, I'm on TV a lot. Yes, Animal Planet. I love that show. No, not Animal Planet. I'm Tom Brand. I own Firebrand. There you go. I use newspaper in the poopy boxes, and I see your face all the time. Look, I'm a little late for something, so we could just get on with it. Meow. Sure. You don't like cats, do you, Mr. Brad? Look, can I just pick one out, and then I'll be on my way? You don't pick a cat. The cat picks you. Look, I make million-dollar decisions for lunch. I'm pretty sure I can pick out a cat. See that? Likes you. It figures because he's attracted to troubled souls. I have with me for the second time, Jess Collins. Hey, Jess. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. What's new with you? Oh, not much, uh, aside from the fact that I thought we were going to be talking about uh, a movie and not a species of animal today. (laughs) No, we're going to be talking about the animal, the cat, not the movie, cats, with all of the singing cats. Perfect, Um, perfect. Yeah, which is better, because... That's not a good movie. Um, although, as it turns out, this is uh, pretty horrific stuff that I came up with for this episode. So I don't know. How much do you know about the the role that cats played in kind of ancient societies? Um, I know a little bit. Um, so when I was younger, I was actually really big into Egyptology. So I was pretty big into, you know, the myth of cats and the role that they played in society. And then um, cats in their... The, role that cats played in witchcraft a little bit um Mm -hmm. and back in the day so i mean the fact that i'm allergic to them uh other than that yeah i am too and so i kind of i hate cats through really no fault of their own i i mean i i think one of the things that i came to realize in doing some research for this is that cats seem to have a lot of sort of projected onto them (laughs) so uh cats tend to kind of be treated the way that they reflect the person or the culture which is kind of interesting um so yeah i don't really find them cute because they make me like blind and unable to breathe (laughs) and uh swallow but again that's not really their fault uh i'm sure i would see much more admirable qualities in them if i weren't so allergic i mean i i think they're cute i just can't touch them yeah, I really think, I think like kittens are really cute. Yeah. Uh, cats are a little bit more, I don't know, an acquired Depending on taste. the cat. That's true. There are some, there are some awesome cats. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the role that cats played in ancient religion. Um, 
So I found really useful, I went to uh, the Ancient History Encyclopedia, a guy named Joshua Mark. I've actually read quite a bit of his stuff. Um, I've used his, his stuff for various research papers and that sort of thing. So it's nice to see him. Uh, and he has quite a bit to say about the role that cats played in ancient Egypt. One of the reasons that I thought this would be a fun thing to do is that um, a lot of people talk to me about you know, the role of, of sort of cat worship in the ancient world. And like famously, the Egyptians loved cats. And um, I didn't really know very much about it. So I thought it would be kind of a delightful thing to to look into. And, you know, for the most part, the story of cats in Egypt is actually pretty delightful. Um, it's it's a relatively lovely symbiotic relationship. Yes. The, the, the Egyptians kind of revered the cat for reasons I think we can speculate on together uh, a little bit later um but so some of the things that we know about what the egyptians did they they mummified their cats which is cool have you ever seen a a mummified cat sarcophagus i haven't i've seen a mummified human so cool look for some images online uh it's like the most adorable little coffin you've ever seen in your life it's like a little tiny cat mummy sarcophagus and it has like pointy ears um so that's kind of neat so you know if you're gonna (laughs) If you're going to mummify something in ancient Egypt, it wasn't easy to do. It might as well be cute too, right? It might as well be cute. Yeah, and it's expensive. It's a it's a long process, but it says quite a bit about the way they they viewed their their cats within the household and within society um that they went to the trouble of mummifying them because mummifying is a sort of an arduous process. So there's there's two kind of noted cat gods in the Egyptian pantheon, one from the earlier um dynasty is called Mafdet. Uh, and then the second one who's more well-known and more popular um, named Bastet. Uh, and both of these are cat-headed gods. Um, so, so they both are sort of a reflection of cats as having a kind of deific, deif- deifetic, deified quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and quote from Joshua Mark and what he has to say. So this is about uh, Bastet. Her ritual center was the city of Bubastis, House of Bastet, which, according to Herodotus... Do you know who Herodotus is before I go any further? No, let's give me a quick background. I mean, I've, I've heard the name. So Herodotus is considered to be the first historian. Um, so he lived in the 5th century BC, and uh, he kind of invented the, the practice of doing history, which is to say, go to a place and record what they do there, and like try to create a narrative around it. So the the discipline that we now think of as being history, at least in the Western context, um, we, we consider Herodotus to be the first of those historians. What's also interesting about Herodotus is that he was a notorious liar, right? So he's sometimes called the father of history. He's also sometimes called the father of lies. So, <laughs> so he would just make a whole bunch of shit up to sort of give his history more flair. Um, so we have to take a lot of what he says with a, a grain of salt. But most of what Herodotus reports here um, seems to be pretty consistent with w- what we know about Egyptian culture. So uh, we can kind of trust him on this one. So anyway, Mark goes on to say uh, that the house of Bastet was an enormous temple complex and was built in her honor at the center of the city. Uh, Herodotus also relates that the Egyptians cared so much for their cats that they placed their safety above human life and property. When a house caught fire, (laughs) the Egyptians would concern themselves more with rescuing the cats than with anything else, often running back into the burning building or forming a perimeter around the flames to keep cats at a safe distance. So 
pretty into cats. Um, yeah, it turns out there's like a lot of things that you could be sentenced to death for concerning cats in in old old Egypt. I, I actually didn't know that one. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I feel like if those assholes want to run back into a burning building, you should let them. Absolutely. Most people, I think, even today, like even the crazy cat people today, I think would basically be like, well, if it's my life or the cat's, I'm going to let the cat die. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's some that's some cat love. That's yeah. That's pretty intense so for the most part like the egyptians really seemed to have liked their cats and cared about their cats and, and there really wasn't much uh it's pretty pretty good being a cat um in ancient egypt in the post-alexandrian hellenized egypt uh in the in the fourth century bc um, there is record of cats being bred specifically for for sacrifice to the gods which is kind of the first time that it becomes a bummer to be a cat. Uh, so the Egyptians are essentially breeding cats in order to be used ritualistically. So that sucks. But at the same time, it's it's also a reflection really of how valued cats were. Typically in ancient world sacrifices, you know, you're going to, you, you sacrifice the thing that's most valuable. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of sacrifices of like rams and sheep and all that sort of thing. Um, right. Those things are right. They're they're, va- they're valuable items. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. worth money. Um, and so when you're giving them up for no good reason other than to sort of show God that you like him, you know, it has some meaning to it. So the idea that cats are being bred specifically to be sacrificed to the gods, again, it kind of sucks, but it's also a a sign of respect um, at the same time. There were penalties for trying to get cats out of Egypt. Um, You could be sentenced to death for trying to do that. Uh, People did it anyways. And so uh, cats ended up in other parts of the world as well. But um, yeah, the Egyptians were were super into their cats. Now, one of the reasons for this is that it seems to me that they, it, it has to do with how kind of low maintenance cats were. So a lot of the resources that we have say that the Egyptians basically looked at cats and said, hey, they basically take care of themselves and they're good at catching their own food and they just sort of sit around and, you know, slink about and um, aren't they cool? So the the kind of Egyptian culture um, of this sort of independence, regal kind of culture that they had, they would look at a cat and they would sort of project, again, their own society's values onto the cat. And that actually is an interesting preview of when things start going kind of dark <laughs> for, for cats. Um, that, again, people sort of project their own values um, onto the cats. Um, so we also see cat worship and veneration in places like India, which had cat gods, uh, Japan, China, uh, the Persians pretty famously uh, were into cats. And then later on, uh, so would the Muslims be into cats. And that's where the problem starts to arrive. So, so far, so good. Um, things are going pretty well for the cats. Uh, do you know when things start to take a turn for the worse when it comes to the treatment of cats in various cultures? You know, I don't, and I feel like this is going to be a very sad story for the cats. And I take I take back what I said about those little bastards running into a burning fire. Let's just keep them on out of there. All right. So one of the things that I found a couple couple episodes ago, um, I interviewed a guy uh, named Andrew Philip Smith about the Cathars. And um, if you haven't heard it, the Cathars were a group of 
Gnostic revival Christians in medieval Europe. And they were famously persecuted by the church, and most of them were burned at the stake. And um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty nasty story. Um, but it's a really interesting story. It's kind of a mystery as to where they came from. And there's even some debate as to exactly where they got the name Cathars from. The Cathars are around the same time as the last days of the Knights Templar. Um, so the, the church's persecution of the Templars and of the Cathars are around the same time. And we see in those persecutions a lot of the same or very similar uh, accusations. I don't know how much you know about the Knights Templar uh, and exactly what they were accused of. I know you're a big conspiracy theory person, so maybe you know a little bit about the Templars. I do. I do know a little bit about them, but I'm sure you know more than I do. All right. So you know that they were burnt at the stake. Um, you know that they were hunted down. Mostly it had to do with money. And and in order for the church to get away with it, in order for um, various nobility to get away with it, uh, particularly King Philip of France, uh, they had to basically accuse them of a bunch of shit they didn't do. And, and so they were accused of devil worship. Um, and one of the things they were accused of is worshiping cats. And, and this is where I started to be like, huh, that's interesting. What's so bad about that? I mean, obviously, worshiping cats is a weird thing to do. Um, obviously, it would be something that the, the Catholic Church wouldn't love. Of course. Um, right. But, but it's also like, that's just a weird thing. So, so I started going down a little bit of a rabbit hole when it comes to the, the role of cats in medieval Europe. <laughs> and it gets pretty gross. All right, so one of the things that uh, Andrew Philip Smith says in his book is that, um, again, we don't really know exactly why the Cathars were called the Cathars. And one of the assumptions is that uh, the word Cathar um, comes from the Greek, uh, meaning uh, to purify. It's where we get the word catharsis. So one theory, and probably the best theory, is, is that is the origin of the sect uh, called the Cathars. But he points out that there's another either kind of legendary or fabled or perhaps even accurate explanation for that, um, which is that it has to do with an accusation that was leveled against both the Cathars and the Knights Templar, and that is that they ritualistically like to lick cat buttholes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something that they were actually accused of so so he's I, I was like you know this is this is something i gotta look into a little bit further so i did <laughs> um and so i i came across someone named um arena metzler um who is a medievalist um and there's a great website called the medievalist that posts a bunch of um essays and so forth about medieval culture and so forth. And, and she wrote a much longer kind of more academic essay about this whole cats in the Middle Ages thing. Um, but it was adapted to a post in, in the medievalist. So uh, around the 12th and 13th century in Europe uh, is when things start to, to go a little bit um, dark uh, for, for the cats. So Metzler, in her article, gives us a quote from a guy named William Caxton. William Caxton was kind of a, an early Renaissance man of sorts. He was a, a writer and a sort of politician and a business guy. And he's the guy who's credited with bringing the printing press to England. So it's kind of a big deal of his time. And anyway, so she, she quotes him. And I, I actually translated this from like the Old English, so it doesn't say the 
playeth often if that's that's right (laughs) translated into modern english he said famously quote the devil plays often with the sinner like as the cat does play with the mouse um and that's a revealing sort of look at the attitude that people had towards cats you know as of right now it sucks being a cat yeah i wouldn't want to be a cat in any metaphorical version of any of this right there's there's things about cats that are inherently kind of uh that drive suspicion right so yeah in caxton's quote what he seems to be saying is basically that the way that a cat sort of taunts a mouse and plays with it and and has this like almost evil mastery over the mouse right like even when it's dead like tosses it around in its hands or whatever um what he's saying is like that's how the devil plays with sinners um and okay cool whatever i guess sure but again we, we start to see that projection right where like we look at where the culture is and where society is and it's not in a great place and he's looking for things that look like the devil and and this really seems to be a trend for a couple hundred years um we're going to get to witches in a second uh of course witches and cats have a strong relationship uh historically and symbolically no doubt but anyway so there's something about cats that in the in the sort of hyper paranoid medieval europe it made them uh an object of fear uh and it was considered to be a fact fact in quotes, that the devil appeared in cat form during satanic rituals, and all of which is complete bullshit, obviously, but, but like no one's interested in facts in 15th century Europe. But, but there's actual, you know, document, you probably know this, like the, um, the Maleficorum, there, there's all these writings, especially in like late medieval Northern Europe about witch hunting and witchcraft and all that stuff. And it's all just bullshit fanfic, right? It's all just yeah. like oh, yeah. total nonsense by non-experts who are just making up stuff about satanic worship, none of which even exists, right? Um, or doubtfully ever really existed. Uh, but it was an accepted fact that the devil could turn into, into a cat. Um, and it's, it's that element of it that is really important to understanding the way that cats were then treated in in medieval Europe. Okay, uh, Metzler again says, witches too were said to be able to shapeshift into cats, which led Pope Innocent VIII declaring in 1484 that, quote, the cat was the devil's favorite animal and idol of all witches. So, sure. <laughs> Those poor cats. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. You know, there's... There's another thing about this whole cat thing, uh, in addition to just their kind of um, self-sufficient nature that I'll talk more about that in in a moment, too. One of the things that it's a really obvious trend, um, again, we did another episode a few weeks ago about coffee and um, the way that there was this sort of weird religious war over coffee. And and one of the reasons for it and, and one of the reasons that like european christians struggled to come to terms with coffee was that the muslims like it liked it so much um and if the muslims like it then it can't be a good thing right muslims like cats they don't like dogs so europeans in part were like yeah the hell with cats right like dogs are where it's at and and dogs were certainly much more popular in northern europe and and cats were were persecuted um which is which is sad but another part of that reason and and why cats seem to be kind of evil is that they didn't obey 
dogs were seen to be subservient, you could train them, right? Um, they, it was almost like the 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 same relationship a king had over his subjects or the pope had over you know the Christian flock. The dog would follow commands, like try teaching a cat to do anything. So anything that had a mind of its own and anything that was self-sufficient that didn't need to be trained into obedience also was problematic, right? Right. If you, I mean, if you don't have any type of control over something, you know, what are you going to do about it? You know, you can't yeah. tell it what to do, then obviously it's going to do the exact opposite, which means it's inherently evil. <laughs> yeah. I, and... I feel sorry for goldfish. <laughs> but so the thing is like, right. And I don't think too many medieval Europeans had goldfish either but i think the difference with a goldfish and a cat is that even though you can't train a goldfish at least like you know where it's going to be like it's not going to try to escape it 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 requires you to feed it and so there is a kind of subservience there true right cats really can just sort of just go do their own thing go find their own food like come hang out at your house for a while then you know peace out and then come back and whatever and like it's that kind of independence that i think was genuinely shocking it was there was almost kind of a moral shock to it um in the middle ages that just did not jive with the um religious and also sort of ethical moral worldview that that most europeans embraced um which is also interesting because you know i know you know quite a bit about witches but one of the things that sort of made a witch suspect was if she could function independently without a husband right and so the idea of a witch living sort of in the forest by herself was itself kind of scandalous that it was like like what is she up to not having a husband and still not starving to death now hold on there must be some dark magic behind this you're telling me that women can do things on their own like come on i yeah apparently they can But yeah, and look when you look at Salem, there's there's a similar sort of um, renewed paranoia around that same thing. It's 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 this idea that like women are inherently, as was the cultural belief, are inherently uh, inferior, and the idea that they'd be able to assert themselves in any way on their own or even have their own sort of point of view, um, wasn't just like. It, we like to think of it very simplistically as though it's they're, they're kind of just being pushed pushed back. But there was something that was genuinely alarming about that, right? And yeah. in in this way, like that is the cat. The cat is the is the animal equivalent of this. And and you know, often widows had cats as as companions and in in helping them, you know, hunt and and find food and that sort of thing. So um this is one of those things that certainly steeped in superstition and sort of biased old world bullshit but at the same time yeah. like you, you can you can see where it comes from oh absolutely which then you know goes hand in hand with the cat being a witch's familiar right and and that's the other thing so th- there's this sort of misunderstanding that um witches become cats um but that's actually not really the case there is a little bit there there are some there's some elements of european folklore it's quite short-lived that the 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 witch can transform into the cat um a witch being able to transform into a another animal or to kind of use an animal to 
spy on other people, right? Uh, was actually, a, it was a common belief among the the crazy, like, fanfic witch hunter guide people. Um, but not that of them turning into cats. And this is, this is where the distinction is important. Um, because most people believe that the, the devil preferred turning into cats or um, putting the devil's consciousness onto a cat and then roaming around as the cat. And so when the witch was with the cat, it was literally the witch literally cavorting with the devil. And not that the cat and the witch have some sort of symbiotic relationship where she can sort of enter into the cat's consciousness. Uh, For the most part, when witches were considered to be in the consciousness of another animal, it was a uh, a wolf or um, you know some kind of a a forest animal, um, but but not the cat. So this explains why when witches in uh, especially. 15th and 16th century Europe were burnt at the stake, they were burnt, burnt alongside their cats because they believed that the spirit of the devil was residing inside the witch's cat. And so the cat had to be burnt um, and executed alongside the, the witch. Otherwise, you run the risk of letting the devil escape. It legitimately sucks to be a cat. <laughs> I mean, like they had like, they had it made in the shade, you know, Early Egyptian times. Now, these poor guys. It's, but it's funny. I mean, it's not funny. But it's, it's, it's kind of like a sick irony to it. This, this story gets a lot worse, by the way. Just, <laughs> I really haven't scratched the surface yet. Um, but there is a funny, not ha-ha funny, but a, a an interesting parallel that if you look at sort of any... Um, any species that has had contact with human nature, like including human beings, uh, there's a time when things are great, <laughs> and, there's, and there's inevitably a backlash time when things oh, yeah. really, really suck pretty hard. And so it's it's because the cat has been so um, so close to humanity for so long that inevitably, like it's going to go through a period of time where everyone's going to turn on them, and uh, it's going to. It's going to get ugly. I mean, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> and yet we still have cats. But it does kind of explain why they hate a lot of us. Okay, so it gets worse. Um, <laughs> so I found this article by someone named um, Dao Dao Holmes. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's T-A-O as in, as in the Dao uh, twice. And her last name is Holmes. And um, she writes for um, Atlas Obscura, which is a great website if you want to learn about really weird things um, throughout the world. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) she wrote an article, tellingly titled, Ritualistic Cat Torture Was Once a Form of Town Fun. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to give you a few examples. (laughs) Perfect. uh, Of of some of the highlights of of her her findings. I've got my pen and paper ready. Yes. For my my next Friday evening when I don't have anything to do. I'll know exactly what not to do with the neighborhood cat. Uh, this would not be popular now. Okay, here's, here's how she introduces her article. Quote, in the 15th century, Edward, Duke of York, declared that if any beast possessed the devil's spirit in him, it was without doubt the cat. Of course. Uh, in medieval Europe, the cat was seen as representing evil, witchcraft, vanity, and even, shockingly, 
female sexuality, vestiges of which remain to this day. There's one P word in particular. The one way to rid something of evil, of course, is to burn it or bash it to bits. So that's what folks did to cats. This brings us to the pastime of cat burning, which is exactly what it sounds like. It was a form of medieval French entertainment that, depending on the region, involved cats suspended over wood pyres, set in wicker cages, or strung from maypoles, and then set alight. In some places, kuramods, or cat chasers, would drench a cat in flammable liquid, light it on fire, and then chase it through town. The embers and charred bits of cat from these blazes would be collected and taken home for good luck. You know, the fact that we all descended from such sociopaths and we've made it to where we are now, we should all just be really thankful that, you know, in a time of a pandemic that some people are actually wearing a mask, you know. That's a good point. Given, you know, the fact that we would just murder cats on a weekend be like hey yeah and, and literally like as a, resp- as a response to a pandemic right let's kill all the cats that's that'll get why. the devil out of, out of town get them right on out of here oh, um yeah the french seem to be like the absolute worst about this like a lot of um european cultures i'm going to name a few of them had their own cat torture festivities that they enjoyed doing but like the french I, I feel like the French also burnt the most witches, but they all, they 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 burnt burnt the most cats. Um, we're gonna get to the worst of the, apparently the worst uh, fe- feline aside uh, incident in history a little bit later on, also in France. But yeah, this was this was for fun. Um, it's kind of hard to even imagine that. Certainly, the idea of like watching people or things suffer and die was not uncommon uh, in medieval Europe or Europe at all. I mean, the, you know, the oh, yeah. Just go to gladiator a, like, arenas, right? Like, yeah. Or go to a local beheading. Of right? course. Yeah. 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 Go, go see the, the, the weekly, hanging. the weekly hanging or like yeah. the, yeah. Lighting, lighting the, the witch on fire. Um, you know, I'm sure there was a, it's, it's like today's Facebook. Just go watch some <laughs> crap happen. I mean, you know. they didn't have Xbox. Right? Didn't like, what are they supposed to do? do? <laughs> And to be fair, like there wasn't much else to do. I mean, I mean, I guess like it's pretty exciting to chase a burning cat down the street. I mean, you figure if you can't really read, you know, <laughs> you can't read. If, you, if you, you might you, you might die at any moment. <laughs> I mean, you know what? You might as well just fucking live it up. You're gonna, you're gonna chase a burning cat down the street. You're gonna chase a burning cat down the street and maybe die tomorrow. It's so bad. It's um, so bad. But they also believed, I mean, quite literally, they believed that, like, cats had evil spirits in them. And so this was good for the town and good for morale to to, bur- to burn the evil cats. Which I guess is a little better than burning innocent women. Uh, not much, but a little bit, uh, yeah. if you're going to burn, burn one or the other. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about another one. Uh, another feline torture sport called Beat the Cat Out of the Barrel comes to us from medieval Denmark's carnival, or... Festilon, a celebration at the start of Lent. Oh, so it's religious. Beat the cat out of the barrel was a family activity meant to purge evil omens. A black cat was believed to embody the spirit of winter, and before spring could arrive, it had to be banished. A cat fitting the color qualification would be stuffed into a barrel that was hung from a tree and beaten with sticks until the wood shattered. Once the cat tumbled out, it was at risk of being further beaten if it didn't scamper away quickly enough. A cat queen and cat king would be crowned based on battering performance. Okay, look, can you imagine if Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil came out and we're like, all right, guys, get your uh, get your bats ready. We're going to get this little bastard. 
It's like Groundhog Day, but with cats. <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, at least in this case, sometimes the cat didn't die. <laughs> I mean, you are beating a cat in a tree in a barrel, but like, it can escape if it's fast enough, and, and the little scamps don't, you know, beat it to death. Right. Uh, there, there is no. no question in my mind, if cats are reincarnated into other cats, they're absolutely the reason why cats hate people. And if cats are reincarnated into people, it's absolutely why people are serial killers, because... I- you're just getting their due. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I would binge. not be surprised if a serial killer is a cat in the next life, or vice versa. And you know um, it's a revenge story. <laughs> you might be onto something there. <laughs> Another yeah, conspiracy. It, it sucks. Uh, yeah, oh, that's a little bit of a harder one, even to well yeah, prove right. or disprove. <laughs> so this still happens today, but. Now at Feslon, um, they they use a pinata shaped like a cat. Oh well, that's uh, so. nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice I to carry no on cats these. Are in attendance. Uh, they probably are. Um, you, we haven't gotten to my favorite one yet, and oh, and um, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Next, uh, Holmes points to a 17th century Italian cat torture sport. Quote: Where an unlucky cat would be nailed to a post or a tree. And sprightly young men, with hands bound behind their backs, which is nice and fair, would take turns kneeling in front of it and slamming into it with their foreheads. No! It seems like straight brutality, but it also involves some strategy, since the cat would still lash out with its claws. The cat did not generally fare well. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I don't, this, this just seems to be like, it doesn't even have a religious element to it. It's just like, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's nail a cat to a post and try and beat it with our heads, with our hands tied behind our back and, 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 and see what happens. And that's how killers are born. <laughs> yeah, if one person did that now, they would immediately be identified as yeah. um, a, a future serial red killer. Flag. and Army of red flags. Um, yeah, m- more than one. So yeah, the Italians were doing messed up stuff too. Uh, so we've got a fun Danish activity, a fun Italian activity, and a fun... Uh, French activity. I will say again, going back to the French one and the the burning cats in a in a net thing. Um, at least there there was some like 15th century logic to it. That, that's really hard to to apply to the 17th century when the Renaissance is supposed to have happened. Um, and you're you're still you can't find anything better to do with your time than to beat a cat with your forehead. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to conclude with uh, the best one. If you're ever thinking about, if you, if, you, if you like cats or your family likes cats and you're thinking about taking a vacation uh, once we're able to travel again. Uh, have you ever heard of the town of Ypres in, in, in Belgium? No, but I have a feeling I'm not ever going to want to go there. Well, you might not want to go there once every three years on the second Sunday of May, um, which is when the town of Ypres in Belgium um, celebrates Festival of Cats. Which is a supremely misleading name, um, because it sounds like, oh, cool, they're celebrating cats, and if I'm a big cat fan, I should go to this thing that they do in Belgium. I would remind you, before you do that, that Belgium is a place that has a a blackface Christmas mascot, so, like, you know, be wary of Belgium when it comes to holidays. So <clears throat> every three years, second Sunday of May, for reasons that I'm sure make a lot of sense to the, to the, to the Belgians... Um, the city holds a parade of witches and cats, the centerpiece of which is the tossing of stuffed animal cats, 
from the belfry of the cloth hall, which if you picture like the houses of parliament in England, it's kind of like that. Um, It's this very ornate sort of Gothic town center. Uh, It used to be basically a huge shopping mall in Belgium, but it's it's, it's the center of, of, of this town. So they go up to the belfry and they toss these stuffed animal cats um, onto the ground. That's what they do now. <laughs> oh no! I mean, are they, were they testing the, the the theory that cats always land on their feet? That's a really good question. I doubt it, but uh, that would be a really nice way to think about it. Um, I was just trying to think about maybe it was a scientific community and they were all just doing science experiments every few years. <laughs> I, I don't think any of that's true. Uh, pretty not. sure, pretty sure the reason they did it was something weirdly religious and superstitious, and that they did it um, to rid the town of evil by throwing all their cats from the uh, from the top of town square. Um, so, <laughs> how do all these people feel about goats? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. You know, it's it's interesting to think like about the fact that um, you know people feel that cats embody the devil and are evil in nature and every depiction you see of Satan he has a goat head instead of a cat's head right right yeah. or most depictions anyway yeah yeah I, I think it that's it's, it's a really good point one of the reasons for that is um, and again I, I think part of the the fear and hatred of cats has to do with a kind of a weird almost superstitious resentment of the old world um, that Europeans had in the middle ages Um, but they they kind of resented and feared um, Roman and Greek paganism and a lot of the reasons why the devil is often a hoven sort of you know horned creature goat-like has to do with like uh, Pan, right in 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 Greek myth, and the idea of um, goats like the Capricorn as um, sexual and you know lascivious and all that sort of thing, and so the, the devil as the tempter, you know, represented sort of the animal that represents sex uh, to a lot of the old world religions. Right. Um, I think a lot of that has to do again, like the way that people talked about Egyptians as this like strange alien thing, especially in, um, in the middle ages and Renaissance in, in, in Europe and the association with cats, like I don't think it helped the cause. Right. And it's just sort of like all these animals are randomly picked out as being the, um, the, the embodiment of evil. Um, we do, we, we don't see a lot of it like in, um, uh, in medieval art, in stained glass windows, you you see a lot of like bats and goats associated with the devil, but not but not cats. You're right, um, and it's not until like modern sort of Halloween iconography that we kind of embrace the cat as this symbol of the dark side, right? Or um, the macabre, or uh, the um, the occult, right? And I think that has to do with the fact that cats were just kind of ever present in a way that these other animals weren't and that they, uh, the Europeans just want to like burn them all and and be done with it. And and that the fear of a cat was much more real and much more immediate than it was for something like a goat. Like goats don't sneak up on you, right? 
um, a stray cat will just show up and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing here? So, so there's something about it. And especially when you don't have like windows in your house, right? Like a cat will just show up in your house um, in, in medieval Europe. And I, I think it's like the, the, the fear of cats was even more profound. Um, and, and that like, there weren't any good ones. Whereas like your goat, your family goat, <laughs> like at least was useful. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting point that, there's this idea that the devil can transform into cats and yet we never see like Jesus being tempted by a cat. And I want to see that because that would make a great painting. Um, <laughs> anybody who's interested in making sacred art now you can steal that idea. All right. So what happens to cats? Why do we start to love them so much? Well, um, the age of enlightenment happens and uh, we get science. <laughs> we learn that cats weren't the source of all of our problems and illnesses. Um, and in fact, quite ironically, you know what a lot of scientists believe never would have happened if we hadn't burned so many damn cats? We would have been nicer. We would have been nicer people. Definitely would have been nicer people. Would have been a lot more bored. That's true. That's true. Less free family entertainment on Fridays. No. So the thing is that cats um, are super good at catching vermin, notably things like mice and rats. And mice and rats are also often seen as one of the primary causes and drivers of the Black Death. Um, and a lot of researchers think that one of the reasons why Northern Europe especially was so susceptible to the Black Death was because they didn't have enough cats. So had they not been murdering all these cats all this time, uh, they might not have been punished by the wrath of God uh, in the form of the Black Death. They brought it upon themselves. They 100% did. But it's, it's, it's this like deep irony, right, that the reason they're killing all these cats is they're afraid that God is going to punish them or that they have evil in their midst. And then when there's this disease that kills half of them, they're like, oh, there's evil in our midst. And they try and kill witches and stuff and it's like full circle it's like well no if you just stop murdering things then like your ecosystem is going to be a little bit better off and maybe you won't all die of a massive pandemic yeah so yeah when you, when you said that about modern day people not wearing masks it's, it's basically a toned down version of the same thing like Absolutely. thank god we know enough now that masks prevent illness and so that conservatives can not wear them out of spite because otherwise they would be killing cats um, out of spite. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> wear your damn mask, people. Wear your damn mask and don't kill a cat. Um, okay. So mostly this all ended after the Age of Enlightenment. Uh, but one of the cool things about history is that sometimes when even after a trend has ended, uh, a bunch of teenagers engage in that trend ironically. And that's what happened in 1730. So <laughs> there's this great book uh, by a guy named Robert Darton written in 1984. It's called The Great Cat Massacre and Other Episodes in French Cultural History. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, he talks about all these really terrible things that happened in France. And uh, the centerpiece of the book is what's called The Great Cat Massacre, which took place in 1730. And so that's long after most of this had all ended. But here's basically what he says about it. Uh, a group of French uh, apprentice printers were seeking revenge on their, their masters um, who, who appeared to like their house cats or treat them better than they did their apprentices. So these apprentices were being fed, you know, gruel or whatever and paid nothing. And meanwhile, like the house cat was getting like the finest cheeses and all that sort of thing. So by the 1700s, the French who used to make it a spectator sport to burn cats have now 
done a complete 180 and now cats are like again in their sort of egyptian they're back on top they are and so the, and the one percenters love them some cats and so now the the proletariat uh, is like dude we get treated worse than cats do you know the historical memory is enough that like cats used to be burnt alive and all that sort of thing so as what darnton sort of casts as a early form of um, a workers' uprising, a kind of um, uh, workers' rights protest. The, the apprentices uh, kidnapped all of their master's cats, uh, and then <laughs> they dressed up in robes and put the cats on trial for witchcraft. Um, the cats did not receive a fair trial. They, they, were, they were not given lawyers, uh, and all of them were found guilty and executed by hanging. It, it was, uh, according to Darton, the, the biggest single incident of um, cat murder in French history. And, and that's saying something, because that probably means it's the worst case in all of history. But that was it. Sort of ends where it begins. Uh, French people killing cats en masse. And since then, cats have just been someone who lives in your house, and there's, there's not really been any religious significance to them. And, and maybe that is, uh, that is for the best. You know... I watched this really great documentary about cats a few years ago. It's called Ketty. Um, it's a Turkish documentary um, about stray cat population in this town in Turkey and how they just let these stray cats just do whatever they want. I'm trying to put some, you know, icing on this very bloody, shitty story of cats. <laughs> so maybe like put a little whipped cream and a cherry on top too maybe some sprinkles it's actually a really cool documentary about how cats are treated now in this town and how you know these cats they they don't feel like they can own cats so all of the cats in the town are just they're all strays so all the people just leave their windows and their doors open they let the cats come and go as they please if the cat chooses them to spend the night in their house like they're chosen for that day and like they're honored by the cat to, you know, be their shelter for the evening. And then if the cat leaves the next day and doesn't come back, then, you know, they were honored to be the cat's person for that day. It's, it's really kind of fascinating. That's a good story. I, and, and again, I think it's another example of the way that this particular animal and its close relationship to human beings um, really is either the victim or the, um, beneficiary of projection of of the way that a society kind of feels about itself uh is is sort of reflected in the way that it treats cats and when they are constantly on edge and unsure and worried about the devil um you know then cats are a really good proxy for that because cats behave in a lot of the ways that human beings are afraid of behaving like they don't give a shit they're self-sufficient they don't need the Pope to tell them what to do, right? Like, yeah. and, and, and so you can, again, you can see why they feel that way. And then like in cultures that have their shit together, cats are pretty well treated and like ancient Egypt had it shit together. And so cats were like, they're like, yeah, you're cool. You're just like us. Like you have your shit together too. Yeah. You go out and find and, and find mice and, and take care of yourself. Um, there's another really great documentary on netflix as well called don't fuck with cats um yes which yes <laughs> have you seen that one yes i you know as we've mentioned at the beginning of this i'm not really a cat person but man was i pissed off watching that documentary 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good litmus test as well. And I think it's also a, a real reflection of the way that, um, again, in our society, in our culture right now, that like the way that you treat cats is like the way that you treat people. And so the idea that like the whole title of the series is based on a kind of fundamental rule of the internet is like you can do what you want but don't fuck with cats and like when you do that people are going to come after you because like 50 percent of the internet is just like cat love and cat memes and cat videos (laughs) i'm exaggerating a little bit but like it's a huge part of kind of online culture is 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 the way that you know cats are are viewed and beloved and so forth um and yeah, I was fascinated too because I, I, again, I felt exactly the same way. Like there's like visceral gut reaction to what is the triggering point of that movie, which, by the way, like goes in so many freaking directions and is just mind blowingly bizarre. Yeah. But 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 the the basic sentiment that these two people just got triggered to finding this sociopath because he fucked with cats, right? Is 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 pretty. It's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, the the more things the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Um, as it were. So, anyway, this is our upbeat episode that I wanted to do about the lovely history of the relationship between religion and cats, which turned into something absolutely horrific but fascinating. And uh, I guess the best thing we can say is that at least we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, um, and if you... we have Xbox now, yeah, right? I guess. Yeah. Do something else with your Friday night, people. Jeez. <laughs> And also, come on, France. Come on. Stop being stupid. <laughs> they just, man, the French do some, or did they, some. Did some weird do. stuff. They did some still, weird stuff. Still do. I mean, mayonnaise on French fries. No, come come on. on, man. Gross. You and I are going to be meeting again soon. We are. We have our final installment of our um, Hanks for the Memories Robert Langdon trilogy coming up. So everybody can look forward to that. That's going to be in a few weeks. Yes when we will be discussing the masterpiece, the piece de resistance of the Oof. of the holy trinity of films, Inferno. That definitely is the, uh, the ice cream cone that got dropped on the sidewalk. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. But we're going to talk about it anyway, because we have to, because uh, that's what we signed up for. Yep. So you can check that out fairly soon. Jess, anything you want to, you want to mention that you're, you're doing? Just still writing reviews that, you know, people can or can't read if they want to on a little website called Unicorn Musings. I actually reviewed Ketty on there, um, a bit ago. You can head to the archives and look it up. Um, I don't watch many cat related movies, but you know, that one was pretty great. I'm sure that I'll watch the musical Cats one day and review that, but I'm trying to hold off as long as I can. Hashtag release the butthole cut. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up if you need to know what that means. I'm not going to elaborate on that. Um, I will link to your review of that movie on our website, which is hardtobelieve.me. It's our new blog. Um, there's not much on it right now, but all of the episodes of the show will be posted onto it when they are released, along with posting on cageclub.me which also hosts all the other great Cage Club shows. This was weirdly fun, Jess. Thank you for um, listening to me talk about horrific cat atrocities. Always a pleasure. Um, And thank you for listening. See you next week.